the world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, they call it the swamp in the Beltway or the D.C. bubble, whatever you want to call it. Washington, D.C. is perpetuated by its own existence. Now, look, folks, I've talked about this before, but it feels even more relevant given the craziness we just see coming out of the government right now every single day. Despite the fact, though, that we hit the textbook definition of recession yesterday, instead of acknowledging, you know, that there's actually a problem so we could, I don't know, fix it, the White House just changed the definition of the problem and told us, yep, don't worry, everything's just fine. If you look at low unemployment at 3.6, if you look at the average uh, amount of jobs that have been created, it's about 400 uh, per month, those indicators do not show uh, that we are are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Uh, no, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. We are in a transition. We had this strong economic growth because of the of the work that this president has done in the past 18 months. And now what we're seeing is a transition into stable and steady growth. Mm, no, no. Let's take a look at the actual definition of what a recession is. Recession, a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identifying by a fall in GDP in two successive quarters. That's exactly what happened. Let's do a quick recap. What was the GDP so far the last two quarters? Here we go. January to March, 1.6%, and April to June, down 0.9%. Now, I'm not an economist. I don't even have an undergrad, but it looks like two successive quarters to me. Just saying. Besides Team Biden trying to convince you that, no, 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 this is not a recession. We're totally fine. The media is once again running overtime for cover. You know, we're all talking about a recession. I think we need to be talking about a reset. We're coming from the best growth last year since the Reagan administration. Before that, you had GDP that plunged 30 some percent 
in the crisis. We're just trying to figure out what is the baseline here. We should all be very careful about even using the word recession. You can't really even officially use that until the National Bureau of Economic Research declares it a recession. Jerome Powell doesn't get to say it. We don't get to say it, right? And one of the reasons that everyone is so careful about that is that if you say it too loudly, people start to worry, and that can, in fact, drag us into a recession. Every single time since 1948 that you've had back-to-back quarters of negative growth, you've had a recession every time. But that may not necessarily be the case this time. It's probably premature to say that it is the case. Literally no one is fooled by this. I don't know what those people are talking about. No family in middle America is like, oh, snippity dip, we're not in a recession because here Jean-Pierre said so. I better rush out and buy one of those fancy new electric cars for 65 grand. No, no one says that. Most Americans hear that and they say, wow, gas is like five bucks a gallon. My grocery bill is up substantially and I can't buy baby formula. What what world do these politicians live in? D.C. They live in Washington, D.C. That's what world they live in. They never venture out. They never even consider that priorities are different from other than the people who lead incredibly different lives than them. They think that everyone either shares their values or we're too stupid to, quote, appreciate the gravity of whatever the daily topic is. You know what the difference is? No one in D.C. actually produces anything. This is actually goes for most cities in general, but the rest of the country does. The rest of the country that produces the products that not only pay mortgages and car payments, but pay the tax bill that all these government agencies light on fire through their reckless spending. And when you get people who have disdain or think that they're better than the people who actually do produce something, i.e. our government, you get a government that is no longer of, by, and for the people. By the way, most of the media is pretty much identical in this scenario as well. That's why like places like CNN crashed and burned. Also why the executives didn't see it coming. Same concept as to government. But you can't fix D.C. problems without entirely fixing D.C. itself. The entire system needs a reality check. And in order to do that, you have to remove the echo chamber. Separate these goons that sit around yes-manning each other. The economy is just one more symptom of the problem because people in D.C. don't live in the same economy we do. D.C. and its surrounding areas are consistently prosperous, regardless of economic conditions. It's one of the wealthiest areas in America because they are funded by our tax dollars, the producers and the organizations feeding off of big tap donors, buying access and prestige. Their cash flow never changes. These think tanks, these consultants, these advisors, they're all the same. None of those are drastically affected by any bad economic conditions like Main Street is. So they don't understand what policies work and what policies don't work because they fundamentally don't live by them. Here's a perfect example. On this vote, the yeas are 243, the nays are 187, one member voting present. The motion is adopted. Cha-ching. Yesterday, the House passes this CHIPS Act, a bill that Democrats claim will boost economic competitiveness with China by giving billions of dollars of corporate welfare welfare to semiconductor manufacturing and research here in America. Okay, sounds great, but House Speaker Nancy Pelosi here was particularly excited about the bill passing because... As we send this bill to the president's desk, we do so with great pride because we passed it on the floor with 100 percent 
Democratic vote. And, it, yeah. and at the same time, a strong bipartisan vote. And here we send to the president, as we do so, Democrats will continue to lower cost, more jobs for America's future. We will always put people over politics. Uh, just pat yourself on the back. You want to know why Nancy Pelosi would care so much about the passage of this bill? Now it's headed to Joe's desk, and she's super excited about microchips all of a sudden? I have a feeling it mostly has something to do with the fact that her husband, Paul Pelosi, look, here we go, Pelosi's husband buys $5 million in chip stocks before the Senate vote. What a coincidence. You don't say. Don't worry. Nancy has assured us, though, nothing is amiss here. Over the course of your career, has your husband ever made a stock purchase or sale based on information you received from you? No, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, and Joe Biden never talked to his son Hunter about his business dealings in China. She just happens to have the best luck in the world. Maybe she should try the lottery tonight that's well over a billion dollars. The Pelosi's are the epitome of the swamp, the D.C. elite that have lived a drastically different life than most Americans, where the rules don't apply to them in their bubble of prestige. But yet they get to make the rules that you and I have to live by. So if you want to change the policy, you have to understand and change the way the people who dictate it are affected by it. I'm not the first person to come up with this idea, actually. There was actually a Senate bill proposed under Trump, uh, Senator Josh Hawley and Mar Senator Marsha Blackburn called the Hire Act. Now, I could not agree more with this proposal. It proposed moving the bulk of the federal government cabinet headquarters out of D.C., moving them closer to the areas that they're actually supposed to be representing. Noble concept, I know. This is the idea that the senators had. Now, I have a few different thoughts here, but the overall concept is generally the same. Move the headquarters to where they belong. This was the proposal that you're seeing on screen now of the Senate bill. I have a couple different ones. I'd start with the Department of Education. Now, if I couldn't just deep six the whole department altogether, because why is the federal government in education, which should be local? I would move that baby smack dab in the middle of one of the states with the lowest literacy rates in the entire country. Try Mississippi. Agriculture. How about you put the Department of Agriculture in a place where they actually grow stuff? Missouri, Iowa, Kentucky, any of those will do. The VA. Yeah, get that one the hell out of D.C. Put that state with the most veterans in it. Okay, California, Texas, Florida. I want them to walk into work every day and be faced with veterans that can let them know how disorganized they are. The Department of Labor it put express train to one of those poorest states right there, West Virginia, Louisiana, Mississippi. See what the real labor market actually looks like, the one you preside over. Cost of rent will also be super low there to save taxpayers some cash. Now, speaking of cost of living, how about HUD to downtown Portland, Oregon? There's tons of homeless people there. Fix that state before you creep into any other budget mandates. They're doing it in Connecticut right now. Transportation. Now, Senator Marsha Blackburn said, Michigan, I disagree, respectively. Plop that baby right smack dab in the middle of the most congested part of the I-5 traffic in Los Angeles. You want to fix some problems? Make these people commute in the most densely populated infrastructure failure of the country. And when they get so tired that they actually do something about it, pick them up and move them to the landing of the one-way ramp off the George Washington Bridge coming into Manhattan. Then when they fix that... Repeat it with somewhere else. This is why the government doesn't actually do anything, especially not efficiently. 
because they look from on high, handing out focus group tested talking point solutions that are not actually run by any by any people that are going to be forced to live by that directive. They always exempt themselves from their own standards. Obamacare, vaccine mandates, for God's sakes, the the climate change gurus fly around on private jets. Folks, we got to make our government work for the people. You know, if, if, if they don't know the people or they're not subject to the same rules, how can they do that? Democrats work hard tonight, folks, trying to take away your Second Amendment rights. But the bill that just passed the House hopefully is DOA at the Senate. Congressman Greg Stubbe joins us next. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n-ads.com on this vote the yeas are 217 The nays are 213. The bill is passed. Yay, we violated the Constitution. It's going to get overturned by the Supreme Court if it even passes the Senate. Those are the cheers, folks, of Democrats who voted to take away your Second Amendment rights, mine included. Now, House Democrats just passed a bill a few hours ago to ban what they call assault-style weapons, a.k.a. a bill that would solve absolutely no gun crime or mass shooting issues in the country whatsoever. This will now make it way over to the Senate, obviously, where it's probably going to be struck down. I don't see Joe Manchin voting for an anti-gun bill in West Virginia. So what's the point of passing it in the House at all? Well, apparently, a bunch of liberal congressmen and women can go home to their districts and say, look, I did something. Well, Republican Congressman of Florida, Greg Stubbe, is here with us tonight. Congressman, I think you're probably the perfect guy for this. Well, and there's no coincidence that this happened right before our recess when we all go home for six weeks, yeah. uh, when people are going back and we're getting closer to the midterm. So all those liberal Democrats can go into their town halls and say, look, we took guns away from law abiding citizens, despite the fact that it's not going to do anything to prevent gun violence in this country. Uh, what's really disappointing about all of this is had those two Republicans not joined the Democrats and voted for that bill, the bill would have died. Uh, There were five Democrats that voted no and two Republicans that voted yes. Had those two Republicans voted with all the rest of the Republicans, uh, that bill wouldn't have passed the floor today. It would have died due to a tie, 215-215. But unfortunately, now it goes to the Senate. And thankfully, they need 60 votes over there. It's not just the 50-50 split. Um, And uh, I can't see 10 10 Republicans voting for that over there. Maybe a couple Republicans would be willing to vote for it over there, but I can't see 10. Yeah, Brian Brian Fitzpatrick. Patrick out of Pennsylvania. In the Pennsylvania Constitution, it says the right to bear arms shall not be questioned. And here he is voting to take away a weapon from American people that is more popular than the uh, Ford pickup trucks. So, uh, Congressman, this is the Supreme Court decision. I actually read it cover to cover for the Bruin case. And in that, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas noted, he said, look, this applies to weapons that were not created at the time of the writing of the Second Amendment. And I look at that and be like, wow, that's pretty definitive. Um, and it also says in there that weapons that are in common ownership 
can be protected. Yeah, common use can be protected by the Second Amendment. This was echoed in the Heller decision as well under reasonable restrictions. Now, my question is, if we know we have at least a 5-4, probably 6-3 decision coming to back that up yet again, what the heck are they doing? It's it's all politics. Again, we're getting closer and closer to midterm. It's political. And you hit right on a key point that is a constitutional point that we made in the Judiciary Committee when we marked this bill up before it went to the floor. And Jerry Nadler himself, the chairman of the committee, admitted that those AR platform weapons, uh, semi-automatic rifles, were in common use. And that was the exact reason why they were banning it. So for the exact constitutional premises, why they can't take them away from you is why Jerry Nadler and the Democrats say they want to take your rights away. It's completely unconstitutional. Thankfully, hopefully, the bill won't pass the Senate. But if it does, there'll be a a lawsuit very quickly. It'll go up to the U.S. Supreme Court because it violates your Second Amendment rights to the United States Constitution. Yeah, well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was completely triggered today by the the very thought that young American children, like my own nine-year-old, who I have taught to use an AR-15, take a listen to this. When I talk about it on the floor this afternoon, I'm going to show, I'm going to show a, a, a presentation of what some totally irresponsible people are putting out there about little children, toddlers, learning how to use an assault weapon, smaller assault weapons, but a gun like mommy and daddy. Small assault weapons, but getting their muscles ready to be able to use it. Is that sick? Well, you know, it's funny. I can probably, I'd say it's about 100 years ago, these so-called toddlers and eight, nine, ten-year-olds used to carry guns to school as a completely normal thing in a lot of areas of the country, and probably even more recent than a hundred years ago. No mass school shootings, no problems. Where are, nope. do you think that guns, as Nancy Pelosi says, are really the problem? No, of course they're not the problem. They're just like vehicles. Should we ban vehicles because they kill people? Should we should we ban pressure cookers that the Boston bomber used because they use those to kill people? No, that's just the tool and the instrument that terrorists and murderers uh, and criminals use to commit their crimes by just taking the tool away. All you're doing is taking away the right of law-abiding citizens in violation of the Second Amendment to our Constitution mm-hmm. to defend yourself and your family. And uh, it, it, I will constantly fight for this. I have fought my entire political career for the sanctity of the Second Amendment, and I will continue to fight. And God willing, the Republicans will take the majority back in November, and you will see pro-Second Amendment pieces of legislation that will pass the House and go to the Senate to support everyday Americans who stand by the Second Amendment and want to protect themselves and their families against criminals and this huge crime wave that Democrats have created all across the country. Yeah, well... If you're ever up in Connecticut, Congressman, I'd love to invite you up to my farm where I have 800 yards of freedom shooting. Um, So Republicans last night killed it in the annual congressional baseball game. Shut out 10 to 0 against the Democrats. You had a real big part in this. Tell us about that. Yeah, we for, for uh, somebody can't remember for the first time in a long time we shut out the Democrats. I pitched five innings. Uh, they only had two hits on me and zero runs. We won ten to zero. Uh, so it was a great show. Our team. I have to give our team great credit. We played excellent, excellent defense behind me, behind the pitcher's mound, which made a huge impact. No errors on our side of the ball. We yep. hit the ball fielded well, and we took the trophy home. We won now in July, and we're going to win again in November. Yeah, well, you had a, a, a gesture from the party of tolerance. Linda Sanchez flipped you guys the bird as she was running by the dugout. Uh, what do you make of that? 
Well, it's interesting because now she's saying, of course, that somebody said something misogynistic to her. Oh. But in that dugout was Senator Joni Ernst, uh, Representative Lisa McLean, Representative Kat Kamek. Uh, we yeah. actually had more female representatives in our dugout than Democrats did. Uh, and so I find it very I certainly didn't hear anything as she was walking by as she flipped the bird to uh, the Republicans. It's certainly not the display of sportsmanship that all the 15 toddlers that I brought to the, the congressional baseball game from my yeah. district uh, is showing their them how sportsman type conduct is but um i didn't hear anything i, I would love to hear from other members of the dugout or or yeah. again she didn't say who it was and what they said she just said oh someone said something misogynistic yeah exactly you know nancy pelosi is worried about how sick and disturbing it is to teach god forbid a toddler how to shoot but you bring him there and she's flipping the bird more from the powdery towel and she you know there was a, a statement released on this the congressional baseball game is one of my favorite events of the year it's a great cause and brings both sides of the aisle together for a night off from partisan politics that is why it really struck a nerve when i heard an offensive misogynistic comment from the republican side on my way back to the dugout i am beside myself 15 seconds what do you say to her well, I just say, say who exactly it was and what they said. Uh, it certainly didn't come from our dugout, and I'm, I would love to hear from our female Republican colleagues that would say the same. Uh, that just shows who she is as a person to the American yep. people. Congressman Greg Stubbe, pleasure as always, sir. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. Folks, remember when candidate Joe Biden said this on the campaign trail? There will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. Yeah, that was recorded, Joe. Can't make this stuff up. We're going to be right back. All right, so Joe Biden will continue to build the southern border wall that President Trump started. I thought we weren't doing that here. That's according to the statement from the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the Biden administration is set to finish several gaps in the wall in the state of Arizona, despite candidate Joe Biden saying there would not be another foot of border wall built under his watch. Still, the White House is refusing to call it what it is. Abe Hamaday is a candidate for attorney general in Arizona. Abe, appreciate you joining us on this. Thanks for having me on, Carl. All right. So just for the viewers out there, if you don't believe me, let's let's go to some receipts on the Joe Biden not building the wall. Take a look. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. Number one. Abe, that promise was broken, but I'm happy to say I'm glad he did. What do you think? Absolutely. But you know what's even more shocking, Carl? If you actually read the statement from the Department of Homeland Security and the White House briefing today, the reason why they're building that wall is for the safety of the illegal immigrant crossers, not for the safety of Americans, not for our sovereignty. Yeah. And that's what's shocking. That's what's going on. So, you know, 160,000 people actually crossed that, that mm -hmm. border crossing in Yuma. 
and that's a four times increase from from la this time last year. So that that to me was the most damaging thing from the administration, the statement. But I am glad they're building it. However, there's political calculations involved in it as well. There's a tough U.S. Senate race here, and I know they're trying to get uh, the Democrat right. a, a big win for that as well. Well, hey, I don't care if they're building it for aliens or Canadian geese. As long as it's getting built, it doesn't really matter to me. But this is an issue, though. <laughs> Jean-Pierre, uh, the White House press secretary, aside from just struggling in general, she has really struggled on this today. Take a look at this. President Biden, when he was a candidate, said there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. Yeah. So what changed? We are not finishing the wall. If walls work in that part of Arizona, is this the administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas? What, what is the point? We are not finishing a wall. We are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. We are trying to save lives. This is what, is, this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up. By finishing the wall, is this? We are not finishing the wall. By filling in, finishing? We are not finishing the wall. By filling in, uh, is, this, is this racist? Because in 2019, when the former guy was proposing a wall, you said uh, that it was his racist wall. So how is this any different? I'm just having a hard time understanding how this is any different. I'm not even sure how you get to your first question, to this question that you just asked me. I will say this. A border wall, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question. A border wall is ineffective use of taxpayer dollars. <laughs> if you say it enough times, Abe, it's not true. Yeah, the, me the mental gymnastics that went on over there is quite funny. But, you know, if you actually come to southern Arizona, you'll see Barack Obama was even building a wall here in Arizona. It's a much shorter wall than the Trump wall that was built. But obviously, we have to close the gaps. The materials are right on the border for us to use. But besides just the wall, I mean, it is there is some point to it that the wall isn't going to stop a lot of people. However, it's the it's, it slows them down significantly. So when you have the wall, they're, they're going to still try cr crossing over, but it slows them down significantly so that we can apprehend them. And so they don't have a number of gotaways into the country. Yeah, well, if walls don't work. Why do they work? I, uh, simple questions that you and I have no problem understanding, but, you know, the very smart people in D.C., uh, we're, not, we're not building the wall. So Eric Adams, Mayor Bowser, out of um, Washington, D.C., obviously, and New York City, after all the time, we are sanctuary cities, we are a sanctuary state, we welcome everybody with open arms. Not so much. Look at this. We have for sure called on the federal government um, to work across state lines to prevent um, people from really being tricked uh, into getting on buses. Really? Tricked from getting on buses? They've also, you know, Mayor Adams said it's overwhelming our school districts, it's, and Mayor Bowser said it's overwhelming our homeless shelters. So it's fine to tell Texas and Arizona and California and all these places, you have to harbor these 200 plus thousand people that came across the border this year, but don't you dare send them to our place, right? It's the typical elites in Washington and New York who have no understanding of what's going on in Texas and in Arizona. You know, originally when uh, Governor Greg Abbott was the first to lead this uh, 
to lead this policy where he was actually transporting illegals by bus voluntarily and into D.C. So and Arizona followed suit. You know, initially people were calling it a publicity stunt, which, you know, for a certain degree it is, but it actually it seems to have ramifications for it, which I'm all about. It's it's highlighted the fact on look at the strain on resources that's causing Washington, D.C. and New York City right now. That's the exact same type of pain that we're feeling right here mm-hmm. in Arizona. And if we takes, you know, having the illegals have to go right into the backyard of President Biden, you know, so be it, because we need we need help here. And luckily, we just got it with the building of the wall. But we, we need a lot more help. I think the asylum, uh, the asylum policies definitely need to change because it's being taken advantage of. And the rest of the world sees our weakness right now. Yeah, it's funny when the anvil of reality just comes right down on the Democrats foot, um, you know, especially all this time. You know, New York City has four, what, 13, 14 million people, and they're taking just a few busloads of people. But the southern border is taking tens, if not hundreds of thousands a month. It is it is shocking. Now, Abe, you recently got a endorsement from some a relatively unknown guy, former President Trump. Tell us how that felt. Oh, actually, Carl, it was great. He called me on his birthday, June 14th. It was a very memorable day. And, uh, you know, he called me and it was a great conversation. And I had the honor to speak with him at the at the rally here in Prescott Valley, Arizona, last week. And, you know, we just got a poll. We got a few poll back, uh, poll results back today. We're up big. The Trump bump is huge and he's mm-hmm. the most powerful political force in politics. So we're going to take yeah. it for the win uh, this Tuesday. We actually have the endorsement. Why don't we go ahead and roll that tape? We're also thrilled to be joined by two terrific additional candidates. Your next attorney general, who is tremendous, I know him well, Abe Hamaday. Thank you, Abe. Get out and vote for Abe. I hear you're doing well, too. I look at those poll numbers. <laughs> there it is, Abe. I mean, best of luck with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it, so it's always great to hear him back at the podium. Have a good one. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Carl. All right. Folks, has any president in American history been reelected in the middle of a recession? Well, president historian Craig Shirley is going to join us to talk about it after the break. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. All right, so Joe Biden's failing economy has officially spiraled into a actual recession. But if you're a Democrat, when you miss the end zone, you can just move the goalposts, right? Now, the dictionary defines recession as a fall in gross domestic product in two consecutive quarters. Now, we all know that Biden administration has trouble with dictionary definitions like the word woman and now recession. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. And the Inflation Reduction Act will add another $370 billion in clean energy tax credits in reconciliation, including incentives to accelerate domestic production of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and critical materials processing. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. 
Inflation Reduction Act. Nothing says let's end inflation like spending another $350 billion to subsidize solar panels. But the White House is working feverishly to redefine the word recession instead of working to get us out of it. Joining us now is Reagan biographer and presidential historian Craig Shirley. Craig, welcome aboard. Hi, Carl. How are you? Quite good, quite good, despite our economy is not. Now, the evidence from both Democrat and Republican politicians and economists throughout all of time since the history of ever have defined a recession by two consecutive negative quarter growths. So what they did was is they wrote all their lackeys in the media and everything, and they've had every single person try to change the definition. Why do you suppose that's so? Uh, well, obviously, they're practicing one-on-one politics, which is pretty uh, puerile. But, you know, the thing is, Carl, is they're doing themselves such a disservice because by 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 denying that we are in a recession, uh, is that uh, they're, they're, all they're doing is promulgating the issue and, and, and talking about it day after day after day. Instead of doing something about fixing it, they're playing with words. And meanwhile, you know, Biden is talking to elitists. But if you talk to average to Joe America and Mrs. America out there who are dealing with high inflation, high interest rates, uh, uh, g- gas prices, in, uh, g- grocery prices, they will tell you we are in a, we are in a depression. You know, I remember Ronald Reagan said to, uh, that, uh, you know, if, if you lose your job, if you, yep. some, yep. your neighbor loses your job, it's a, it's a recession. If you lose your job, it's a depression. Yeah. So, yeah. It's unfortunate. But the problem is, is like there's a lot of people, especially Democratic candidates and office holders on the record saying exactly what a recession is. Take a look. Mr. President, what do you think about a recession? Well, a recession is two quarters in a row of negative growth. I don't think we're going to have that. Really? Well, Bill Clinton seemed to figure it out. Uh, yes. But, Craig, you know, is the Biden administration de- in denial? Are they just spinning this? I mean, like the first problem is of, of the first step of fixing any problem is fixing it. So historically, yeah. in your mind, has anybody failed to actually acknowledge a recession in the past? Oh, the, uh, recessions go back to after the Great Depression. Of course, then you had the Eisenhower recession, which, which may have cost Richard Nixon, the presidency in 1960. Then uh, Richard Nixon himself had a, a recession, but the Democrats were foolish enough to nominate George McGovern. So Nixon, Nixon actually won re-election despite a, a, a growing, a loose shrinking economy. You had the Carter recession, mm-hmm. which led to the election of Ronald Reagan. Both Bushes had recessions brought on by their own by, by their own policies, and that led to the election of uh, Bill Clinton and then the election of uh, Barack Obama. So uh, both parties are blame are, are to be blamed for mishandling recessions instead of just being right up front with the American people. Yes, we're in a recession and we're doing our darndest to get out of it. We're, we're instituting new policies every day, which, by the way, taxing people in a recession is about the dumbest thing you can do. Well, that was going to be my next question is, um, you know, when nothing says like I don't understand the economy, like someone trying to spend more money to stop inflation and tax more people in a recession in the history of any knowledge you have, has anybody ever successfully spent their way out of inflation and taxed their way out of a recession? No, no, no. no. Is going, and in fact, the Great Depression, 
uh, FDR tried to tax tax and spend us out of uh, the Great Depression all through the 1930s. And you know what? He failed. Unemployment was just as bad in the United States in 1933 as it was in 1940. What got us out of the Great Depression was Lend-Lease policy when we're actually uh, producing things that Great Britain needed. The key to economic growth is uh, production, not uh, not consumption. Is that or is consumption, not production? Mm-hmm. You can make all the Model T cars you want, but if people aren't buying them, then you're stuck in a recession or even a, a depression. So, it, w- what we need to do is decentralize the spending policies and leave it up to the states to bring mm-hmm. bring the country back from a recession. Yeah, well, being the presidential historian you are, um, you remember when Jimmy Carter had, in, and even in the early days of Ronald Reagan, they had yes. to raise the interest rates to match the inflation rate. Do you see right, that? Exactly. Uh, do you see any similarities today? Like, I mean, right now we're at 9.2 or 9.1%. Do you think interest rates go that high? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's necessary. Economics is economics, Carl, is that what they had to do with the Carter, with, with, when Reagan inherited the Carter recession, he didn't try to spend us out of it. He tried to save us out of it. And he was quite successful. He turned around the American economy. It was booming. And he ended up creating some 30 million jobs mm-hmm. in, the, in his course of his presidency. So he's the model for success. But Biden uh, is of limited intelligence uh, and refuses to give up on his narrow ideology uh, and say, you know, oops, I made a mistake. We can't spend our way out of yep. this recession. We need to we need to rein in the spending and uh, and high interest rates and get us out of, a, of the recession we're in right, right now. Well, Craig, sure, that was the nicest way to insult somebody I've ever heard. We appreciate you joining <laughs> us tonight, Craig. You bet, Carl. Thank you. Have a good weekend. <laughs> you too. All right, folks. Last time Nancy Pelosi went on a mission to China, she got chased out of Tiananmen Square by local authorities. Something tells me that it will be a bit more serious this time around what the Chinese Communist Party is threatening to do if she lands in Taiwan. Stick around. All right, so it looks like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is now public enemy number one in China. She's preparing to leave for her trip for Taiwan despite some serious threats from the country. A guy who's been on the leading mouthpiece for the Chinese Communist Party suggesting that China could shoot down Nancy's plane if she shows up with a military escort in Taiwan. Well, Congressman Claudia Tenney from New York joins us now to discuss. Congressman, appreciate you coming on tonight. Great to be here. All right, so... Nancy Pelosi was asked about her business abroad and the trip she's planned. And earlier today, her weekly press briefing said something very interesting. Listen to this. I know you don't want to talk about your travel, but can you at least talk about the significance of visiting Asia? What type of message you and a congressional delegation would want to send if you, in fact, make this trip? Well, I don't ever talk about my travel because, as some of you know, it's a security issue. It's a security issue for every member of Congress traveling, especially abroad. But for the speaker, it is an additional uh, security issue. And for those traveling with me, not just members, but staff, etc. I think it's a security issue. I wish she didn't make it totally clear. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is interesting. China has literally threatened her from going over there. Have we ever allowed China to dictate our foreign policy on other countries? Well, they're trying to, and they do it economically. Uh, of course, they exert their power there. But look, the Global Times is a 
mouthpiece for the Chinese Communist Party who made these ridiculously inflammatory statements about if she has escorts in the military, they're going to shoot them down, in essence. And uh, But I hope she does go to Taiwan because she's made this gesture. So now you can't back down to China. She's got to stand up because Joe Biden is so weak. He's projecting the weakness uh, that uh, his, or at least the shadow government that's uh, actually telling Joe Biden what to do, because he has made a few remarks saying that we would defend Taiwan under the Taiwan Relations Act. So uh, I'm looking at this, uh, you know, maybe she could project some strength that is uh, weakness in the in the Biden run administration, but they're not backing her up. Uh, but I, I think she if she's going to say she's going to go, she's got to go. She yeah. needs to defend our interests in Taiwan and she needs to stand up to the Chinese Communist Party and these these ridiculous threats that they're making. Yeah. Well, this is not our first dust up with uh, <laughs> with China in the in the past. The speaker was doing some business over in Tiananmen Square back in 1991. She was actually chased out by Chinese officials. I mean, here here it is now. Something tells me that things might not be that different. But I mean. At the end of the day, I, look, I don't want anybody threatening our elected officials from other countries. Like, we, we and I, we, you and I talked about this this morning. Like, we can fight amongst the pack all we want, but we are one against the enemy here. And when they make these blanket threats, I say, I support Pelosi and going over there, as do you, to make the statements like, we will not be bullied. We have 11 carrier battle groups, and we can destroy a building with the push of a button anywhere in the world in under 17 minutes. What do you say? I agree with you. I mean, we have to do this. We cannot let China bully us. And remember, the China from 1991 is a lot different than the China today, who we have allowed with a lot of our globalist policies. We've allowed them to be strengthened. We've allowed them to become a a dominant power, uh, economic power, a huge military, uh, a much larger military than we have. And so uh, ours is better still. uh, But we still have to stand up to them. They're seeing weakness, though. So uh, I hope she goes. She's making some... uh, uh, equivocal statements about that, but she needs to show that we do support Taiwan and and how vitally important Taiwan is and the independence of Taiwan and the Chinese bully isn't going to win this war. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but right now we're seeing tanks guarding the actual banks and the financial institutions in China telling people, no, 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 you can't withdraw your money because we need it for state-sponsored things like, I don't know, buying farmland outside U.S. military bases and things like that. And, you know, the the U.S. government, especially the Biden administration, has just brushed this off saying, meh, okay, you know, no big deal. I got about 30 seconds left, but can you tell me what farmland outside of Chinese naval bases do we own? Yeah, interesting. And they're buying up thousands and thousands of acres in this country, which is why I've put in a number of bills to stop that and to monitor it. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations should be, the so-called CFIUS, should be really analyzing this and really preventing China from doing the surveillance. They're building this farmland, which is really dangerous to our interests, Just not just farmland, buying up companies. They do it surreptitiously, yeah. but also influencing colleges. And kudos to some of the colleges who backed off on yeah. Chinese-dominated Confucius Institute. So uh, we got to continue to fight this presence. They are not just an adversary. They are an enemy. And we yeah. need to treat them that way. Congresswoman, we appreciate you coming on as always. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre rarely has answers. She said so herself. But When we do play the answers that she did have, you're going to understand why she usually says no comment in a minute. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. 
I don't have anything. I I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. You don't have anything. I just don't have anything. Don't have anything. So I don't have anything. 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 Just don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. Again, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I 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 don't have anything. Oh, in case you didn't catch that, she doesn't have anything on anything. She rarely has anything, actually, on anything. Karine Jean-Pierre is quickly proving herself to be potentially the worst White House press secretary in American history. I know Saturday Night Live had a, a bumble on, on Sean Spicer. He ran circles around her. Now, from her bumbling, stumbling, non-answers to being confused about simple questions, I guess it's no surprise that she doesn't, quote, have anything on that. Because when she does have something to say, it's something absolutely ridiculous, like this today. What's the difference between Texas busing migrants to D.C. and the federal government flying migrants to, say, New York in the middle of the night in other cities? It's very different because we're not doing it as, a, as using migrants as a political pawn. You are, though. That's the problem. Busing migrants from the border to Washington, D.C. is using them as a political pawn. But flying them from the border to the suburbs of New York under the cover of night when you're not allowed to videotape anywhere near them, that's a humanitarian mission, right? Got it. Okay, those are the rules. Once again, the main reasons her answers are typically this. Have anything. We don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Uh, I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything. Uh, again, I, we, I don't have anything. So I, I don't have anything. We don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. Uh, I don't have anything. Make it stop. And that's just from a couple press conferences. You can see the color of the dress. Well, folks, that's about all we got because I don't have anything else for you tonight. I'm Carl Higby in for Greg. He'll be back. Don't worry. But tomorrow, folks, 7 a.m. I'll be on the couch. Wake up America weekend right here. Alex Kramer's going to be filling in. We appreciate her being here, folks. You have a fantastic night. Appreciate you tuning in. And as always, have a good time.